good to be here with y'all tonight. If you're a guest here for maybe a grandchild of yours was dedicated or somebody invited you because they were dedicating their child, you're our invited guest here. Welcome. So glad you're here. My name's John, Johnny, JB, Juan. I got all kinds of names, but uh, I'm John Verican. I am not the uh, a pastor here at Resurrection Life Church. I'm invited guest. My wife, Carla, and I are from this church. We've been missionaries for 32 years in Mexico, and I get the privilege and the honor of sharing with you tonight. Thank you for being here. Now, I have a question. How many of you were here this morning? Raise your hand. All right, quite a few. How many of you slept in? Don't raise your hand. You're like, you're my crowd. We've got, you know, I, I do church in Mexico and we can't, we, we don't have a service between, before 1130 because they just don't come. So we, ha- we have 1130 service. We have a 115 service. We have a three o'clock service. Three o'clock's the fullest service. They're like, that's our people. They get up, they chill out and then they come to church. So it's good to be here tonight. I just want to share something with you. Now, I won't be long, but my, my goal tonight is once again, y'all that have heard me before know that I'm not deep. It's simple, but uh, I want to stir you up. I want to stir you up and talk to you about living life the way God had made it for you. But there's one way that you and I can make that happen. To start off, I want to ask you a question. Why would a person, why do you think a person would live a life they don't like? Why would a person live a life they don't like? Why would a person live a life that, that they don't feel is everything for them? I ask that question because it seems to me as I relate with people and talk to people, a lot of people are living a life they don't even like. Do we really think that God would put dreams gifts, and all these desires on the inside of us and then set us on a path just to frustrate us? You really think that? Do I really think that? The answer is no. So if you're on a path in your life and, and you look down that path and you think, this, I don't like what's at the end of that path, tonight's for you. I want to challenge you to step out and to live life to the max. Live the life that, that, that God, I believe, that, that God has for you. I believe that a lot of times, many people don't live their life to the max because they've just settled. Now that's a question. Could it be that you or that I have just settled? Could it be that we've just settled? Could it be that we're living a life that we don't, that we're really not fired up about, excited about because we've just settled. And, and I think a lot of people settle and a lot of people don't step out and they'll live their life to the max. And I'm gonna use a kind of a, a religious terminology or Bible terminology. If you're not a Bible person here tonight, I'll just explain what that means. A lot of people don't get out and walk on the water. And, and what I mean by that is, is, is go beyond just the norm. You know, the Bible talks about, talks about Peter one day, that Peter asked Jesus if, if he could get out, out of the boat and walk on water with him, and he did. And that's what I mean when I say a lot of people don't get out and walk on water. 
A lot of people are waiting for God. A lot of people are waiting for God to, to, to line everything up. A lot of people believe, a lot of Christians believe that if something is of God, everything is going to align. Everything is going to come together. The stars will align. All the money will be there. All the people will be there. It'll just be, everything will be lined up and then we'll know it's God and then we'll step out and do that. That is not true. That is not true. If you're going to live your life to the max, if you're going to if you're going to if you're going to live a life that you really like to live, you're going to have to walk on water. You're going to have to step out sometimes when you don't know what's going to happen. You're just going to have to trust him. And I, I think back in my life, and, and, and I think of, of some of the things that have, that, that, that have happened. I'll tell you a few stories in a little bit. But every single time that, that I've lived a light, a, a, something in my life that I just thought, this is, this is awesome. It, is, it has been because I just stepped out and said, okay, God, let's see what you're going to do. Because there's no perfect times and there's no perfect conditions. I'm going to say it again, just in case you're looking at the lights right now. There are, friends, there are no perfect times and there are no perfect conditions in this world. It just, there just never will be. And if you're waiting for the perfect time, for the perfect condition to step out and to live your dream, to live that thing that you've, that, that you've always dreamed about, the perfect time and the perfect conditions will never be there. You're just going to have to step out and give it a shot. Anybody that's done anything in this world of great impact has done just that. I remember when I was in Bible school and I had a, a homiletics professor, his name was, was John Garlock. John would, he would talk about, his dad and mom were missionaries, therefore he was a missionary, uh, in Africa. And his dad had a book, and the book, the name of the book is Before We Kill and Eat You. It's quite a book. You need to get that. And he talks about pioneering in the jungles of Africa with, 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 it, with uh, tribes that would, that would eat people. They were cannibals. And how he decided they were going, they were going to leave the United States, they were going to go to Africa, and they were going to go pioneer into the jungle, and they were going to go share Jesus with people in Africa. When H.B. Garlock and his wife left the United States, they had to pack everything they had in caskets. It was U.S. law that any Americans that would go, that would go to Africa, the, the, the average lifespan of a man was four years and the lifespan of a woman was two years. So they packed all their goods in a casket, got on a ship and sailed for three months, heading to Africa. How many know those weren't the perfect and ideal conditions? But they did it anyways. Why? Because if you're going to live your life to the max, if you're going to really live your life the way God wants you to live, you're going to have to step out and walk on water. You're just going to have to give it a shot because the perfect conditions do not exist. One of my favorite sayings of somebody in, in, uh, that, that lived a long time ago, and if you've heard me speak, you may have heard me say this before, was C.T. Studd, the great missionary. What a name, right? Studd, I'd love that. I have a last name, Stud. 
Johnny Studd. Maybe I'm going to change my name to Johnny Studd. <laughs> C.T. Studd, the great missionary to China, said this. Why are there so many gamblers for gold and so few for God? Why are there so many people that are willing to risk it all? They line up at the casino. They're beeping their horns to get into that place. That place is packed out. They're just waiting for a game. And they've got it all there with them. And they're like, we're going to risk it all. By chance, we may win. What happened to us Christians? What happened to us? Why, why did we, 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 we receive Christ into our life and then we become ultra conservative? No more risk involved. Who taught us that? My Bible says the just will live by faith. Believe in God. He's a big God. And step out and see what God will do in your life and in my life. My challenge to you tonight is just that. It's just that. To stir you up and say, you know what? There's a better tomorrow. I don't want, know, know what's going on in your life. I don't know what the situation is. So many people are so bogged down and they've got this deal in their family or they've got this deal at work or they've got this deal in their relationship and, and, and something. And it's all consuming. That is such a small life. I'm sorry that I say it this way. That is such a small life when there's so much other people and there's so many other things going on we don't believe that if we'll keep the first things first that god won't do something in our own situation because he will i promise you he will if you'll open your eyes if i'll open my eyes and look beyond me in my deal in my situation and begin to step out and to live life to the max god will do something beyond what we could ever dream about. But it's going to take living life on the edge. It's going to take not waiting for the perfect conditions. You know, the Bible says that. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 11.4, one of my favorite verses. If you've heard me speak before, you've probably heard me state this verse. Ecclesiastes 11.4 in the Living Bible says this. If you wait for the perfect conditions, you will never Get anything done. Right there. In gray and white. If you wait for the perfect conditions, you will never get anything done. If you or I wait for everything to line up, all the resources to be there, for everybody to say yes, 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 everybody cheering us on, we will never, ever get anything done because it's never going to happen, my friend. It's never going to happen. If you want to live your life to the max, if you, wanna, if you really want to see God do something in your life, you're going to have to step out and walk on water. And just go for it. Why are there so many gamblers for gold and so few for God? Let me tell you a story about a friend of mine. Her name's, her name's Gina. Her, her, her husband, Eduardo, they've got, they've got such a cool story. I love their story because they're just gamblers for God. Gina has a kindergarten in Guadalajara, Mexico. And uh, matter of fact, when my kids were when when my kids were small, they went to her kindergarten, and she's just a 
sweet young lady, and uh, she's got this kindergarten in the United States, or excuse me, in Mexico. Kindergarten is separate from, from grade school, so it's not like here where grade school is kind of kindergarten on up. It's kindergarten, has three years, and then you start first grade. So she has this kindergarten school, and during the summer, Gina would do a, she'd do kind of, it's like, like churches do VBS. This is what just, it wasn't anything to do with the Bible. It would just be a two-week summer school for kids, but Gina had an orphanage that was that was by the school, and so Gina would go and pick up seventeen orphans and take them to her kindergarten school every day for two weeks. So Gina would go in the morning. She would have her suburban and another vehicle, and she'd pick up seventeen orphans from an orphanage, and she'd take them, and, and they would be involved in these two week summer the summer school. One day, Gina picks up the, the kids, goes, does summer school. She's on her way back, back gets to the orphan, orphanage, and it's closed. And the people are gone. And it's locked up. And she realizes that the people that run the orphanage were gone. And she has 17 little kids. So what is she going to do with 17 little kids? So Gina tells her story. She went driving down the road and found a police officer. And she said, sir, I have 17 kids from this orphanage, and I don't know what to do with them. I went to drop them off, and the orphanage is gone. It's abandoned. Nobody is there. And the police officer said, well, just drop them off on the, on, on the street, and the government, and then I'll report it, and then the government will come, and they'll take them and put, put them into, into the system, and, and, and they'll get placed somewhere else. And, and, and Gina said, I, no. They were abandoned once. They're not going to be abandoned twice. So she went down to the police station and said, you know, what, what can I do with these kids? I, I have 17 kids from this orphanage. They said, oh, well, just, just declare them abandoned again, and, and, and we'll, take, we'll take them from there. But uh, they may be on the streets for two or three days, but we'll find them and we'll do it. Gina said, no. So Gina shows up at home with 17 kids. And she has three. And, and her three are a little older. The, the two girls were, were high school going into college. And, and her husband, Eduardo, comes home and, and, and Eduardo shows up. And there's 17 new kids there. Says, dear... We've got some guests for dinner. And she tells Eduardo the story and, and tells her, her kids the story, what happened. And, and, and their kids say, well, mom, we want them. Let, let, let's, they can live here with us. And Eduardo and Gina talked to the kids and said, well, so we can't, you know, you're talking about sacrificing Christmas. You're talking about sacrificing your college education. We do not have the resources to be able to have 20 kids, you three, and 17 more. No, we want them, we want them. So Gina Eduardo decided they wanted to keep these 17 kids. They were abandoned once, they're not gonna be abandoned twice. Were they the perfect conditions? No. Did they expect it? No. But there's some times that you and I just have to walk on water. There's some times that you and I have just got to, to say, hey, could this be God? Maybe God has something different from, for me than I had ever dreamed of. So they had them sleeping in bedrooms. There's kids all over the place. 
Gina started looking for a house. They had a three-bedroom apartment. Gina starts looking for a house. She got a hold of, of the DIF, which is the, the government area of, in Mexico that takes care of, of, of young kids. And, and they said, okay, if you're going to keep the kids, we'll see if we can find a house for, for you. So they said, oh, we got a house, a huge mansion, a house in in. in They'll give this house to you if you'll take care of the kids. The house, the house was, was from Juan Gabriel. If you know anything about music, Juan Gabriel was this famous Latin singer, and he had these mansions all over the place. So Gina went to check, check out the man's mansion, but she walked into one of the bedrooms and found child pornography and said, no, my children will not live in this house if that stuff's been going on in this house. They were going to give her the house. She said, no. She kept looking. She found another place. She started to make a deal with it, found out it was a cartel house. Said, can't do this house. They were going to give it to her. So the day, that day that she said, no, the cartels, she goes to an Oxo. That's like a 7-Eleven in, 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 in Guadalajara. And she bought all of the kids Twinkies and all this stuff. And she just sitting on the, in the parking lot and, and asked the person that was there, said, hey, is there any place around this area for me to rent or to anything? I'm looking for a building. I have, I have 17 kids, and I'm, I'm looking for a place for my, for my children. And uh, happened to be a worker there at the, at, at the Oxo and said, you know what, there's, there's an abandoned warehouse behind here. It's kind of like a house warehouse that they use. You can, I think the owner lives next door, but nobody uses that. Maybe you could use that. She said, Gina's story has said, walked around the corner, knocked on the door. The man said, well, I got this old building back here, but you can look at it. You can check it out. So he opened up the door, no floor in the place. Rats came running out. But Gina said when she walked into that place, she could see it. She said, this is it. This is the place. So she called up Eduardo and said, Eduardo, you got to come. You got to check out our new house. In an abandoned, junked out, rat-infested warehouse. Eduardo comes down, and they're looking at this thing. And she's saying, I can see it. I can see it. This is the perfect place. This is going to happen. And, and Eduardo's just shaking his head, couldn't, couldn't see it. As they're standing there. And I'm going to tell you this, and you're going to think, that is cool. I want that to happen to me. There's only one way this is going to happen to you. They're standing there, and a, and a construction worker pulls up with this huge steak truck full of flooring. Pulls up and said, hey, could you all use flooring? I just finished the job, and I've got a truck full of flooring, and I can't use it anymore. They said, yep, you can drop it off right there. He's dropping off the flooring, another steak truck with another construction worker pulls up with a load full of tabla roca. How do you say that in Spanish? Um, drywall. He said, could you guys by chance use some drywall? They said, yeah, you can unload it right there. They sat there and truck by truck, people came by dropping things off to a place that nobody knew about and that they put together. 17 kids, they put this play together. They lived there. They went from three kids to 20 kids like that. You think you do child dedication? Check that out. <laughs> you gotta walk on water. You think that's a cool story. I would like one day for these trucks just to drive up to my place and you say, yeah, 
You and I have to, if we want to live to the max, if we want to really see what God could do with our life, we need to step out. Living a lifestyle of faith automatically implies taking risks. Gina could have easily said, not my responsibility. I'm going to say that again. Gina could have easily said, not my responsibility. And she would have went home and she would have had her three children and she would have put them through college and she would continue to live her life. I believe I'm speaking to a group here tonight. You wouldn't be here on a Sunday night unless there was just something on the inside that was saying, I want more. I want more. There's something more there. I want to remind you what the Bible says. If you wait for the perfect conditions, you will never, ever get anything done. Because the perfect, perfect conditions do not exist. I'm going to read you something from my notes. I, I want to read it to exactly the way I have it. If you insist on resolving every problem or circumstance before acting on something, you will never know God and his awesome works and power. God is incredible, invincible, beyond anything you could ever think or dream. He's the creator of the universe. There is nothing impossible for our God. We sing it, but sometimes I don't think we believe it. We raise our hands and we think there is nothing impossible for my God. Well, let's check it out. Let's give it a shot. I think about that and I think, I want to give this a shot. I want to check it out. I want to see if, there, if, if I can really get out there. And you say, well, uh, you're just tempting God. I want to give it a shot. I think my God's big enough. I think he loves me enough that he can show himself strong and powerful. God uses imperfect people. Is there any imperfect people here? If you're imperfect, raise your hand. If you're really imperfect, raise two hands. If you're really, really imperfect, just kind of lift up that leg a little bit. I see my, my dad back there. Big Daddy, get them all up. <laughs> God uses imperfect people in imperfect circumstances. Anybody have any imperfect circumstances? Anybody got real imperfect circumstances? Anybody got real imperfect perfect circumstances? God uses imperfect people in imperfect per circumstances to do his perfect will. I'll say that again just in case it didn't register. God uses imperfect people, that's me, in imperfect circumstances, that's our world, to do his perfect will. If you really want to see him do something wild and crazy and beyond what you could ever think and dream about in your life, don't wait for the perfect timing because the perfect timing will never, ever arrive. And someday you'll be in a situation that you're too old and you think, I would have, I could have, I should have. Don't do it. Act now. It's not too late. This is what the Bible says in Ecclesiastes and, uh, 4. If you wait for the perfect conditions, you will never get anything done. Then, then in verse 5 it says this. 
Just as you cannot understand the path of the wind or the mystery of a tiny baby growing in its mother's womb, so you cannot understand the activity of God who does all things. In other words, if you try to figure it out, if you try to think, well, okay, God, yep, this is the way God's going to do it. If you try to figure it out, it, that's going to just, that's going to stop you. If you really, there's things you don't know. There's things you, there's things I don't, there's things you don't know. Do you know that? Do you know, there's things you don't know. There's things I don't know. The Bible said, just like you don't know how the wind moves and how it goes, just like, just, just how we don't know certain things, we don't know what God will do unless we step out and give it a shot. Why are there so many gamblers for gold and so few for God? I want to encourage you to be a gambler for God. Live your life on the edge. Live your life all out. Live your life daring to dare great and awesome things. I, I asked myself this question. What would I do if all of a sudden I had 17 little kids placed in my lap? And my goal is, I, I, I think, I, would, I, I hope that I would do the same thing that Gina did. I hope I'd do the same thing that Eduardo did. What would you do? If you wait for the perfect conditions, you will never, ever get anything done. If you want to see the awesome power of God in your life, it's time to step out. Not wait for the perfect conditions. If you were here this morning, I talked a little bit about Cuba and different things going on in Cuba. What some of you don't know is in 1996, I was preaching in Cuba. I had seven people with me, and we were arrested. We were arrested for preaching in Cuba. They took us to prison, and then they transported us the next day, and then, and then they deported us from the country. And when they deported us, they told me I was the person that was with the authorities when they took our passports and stamped our passports with this half moon and a star. And as an American, they said, you can never come back. If you come back into the, this country, 15 years in prison. Do you understand? I said, yep. And what I meant by that, I understood, but I didn't know if I was going to obey. So they deported us from the country and some different things happened. Matter of fact, that's exactly the time when our kids were in that kindergarten with Gina and in her school, they attempted to kidnap our kids. And it was the Cubans in Mexico that attempted to kidnap our kids. And it was Gina, I forgot about that, it was Gina that, that had the, the light went on and said, hold on, because they, they came up with this lie and they had conceived this, oh, this whole thing and this and that and they were going to run off with our kids and said, whoa, 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 let me call John and Carla and boom, these people take off and jumped in a car and they had guns and all this stuff and, and took off. So anyways, we got deported from, from, from Cuba and we had all these things happen. Matter of fact, Carla and I had to live separate for five months because the, the, the family, there was some danger going on. She came to Michigan. I stayed in Mexico. But about seven months after we were deported, a man, good friend of mine, great guy, love him. He's on our board of our, 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 our um, 
our organization, he came to me one day and said, hey, John, so when are you going back to Cuba? I said, well, I wasn't planning on going back to Cuba. He said, John, I remember when you started working in Cuba, you told me that, that God has spoken to you and told you that if you're faithful and will obey, he'll use you to change the history of the island of Cuba. I said, yep. He looked at me in the eyes and said, so when are you going back? And this thing began to stir on the inside. December 8th, that following year, I remember saying goodbye to Carla, gave her a kiss, had all this contraband on me to go in for our Bible schools. I had $30,000 cash, and I was going back into Cuba. And the last thing I knew was a Cuban authority looked me in the eye and said, if you return to this country 15 years in prison, if you wait for the perfect conditions, you will never, ever get anything done. Now, I remember I got on that airplane, Mexico City, that thing took off, and that packed. captain said we got about an hour and 50 minutes, and we'll be landing in the city of Havana, Cuba. Now, I remember thinking, well, I thought in my mind, I'm going to Cuba, and then I heard this voice saying, and you're going to jail. <laughs> now, I don't know if you believe in the devil or not, but I heard him. And you're going to prison for an hour and a half. That's all I could hear in my mind. And you're going to prison. I remember when we got over the island and we we're starting to go down. That's all I could think. You think, you think living, li, living this, this lifestyle, it means that everything, you're just going to be chilling all the time? No, it means pressure. It means, it means excitement. It means adrenaline. It means, oh, what's going to happen? But if you wait for the perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. We landed, brrr, went, in the, went into, in, into the immigration there. And, of course, I had, you know, they had stamped my other passport, so I lost that United States passport. I got another U, U.S. passport, so, I, you know, I at least had a different passport number and all these things. But went in immigration. In Cuba, you go into immigration. It's not like, it's not like hey, welcome. So glad you showed up. It, that's not it. You go into this booth. And, and they, they train these people to be stone serious. You have mirrors behind you, so they're looking at your whole body. You're looking into this booth, and, and they just say, dame tu pasaporte. In other words, give me your passport. So you give them their passport, and then they start doing the monkey business and looking around this, and they look up at you, and they look down, and they look up, and they look down, and they look up, and they look down, and they, and they look up, and I, and I could hear this voice, you're going to prison! <laughs> I don't know if they could see my knees shaking by, with that mirror. But I had three inches of Bible school material in my shirt. My shirt was tucked in, had it here. Had $10,000 cash in a knee brace and another $20,000 cash in parts unknown. <laughs> that person stamped my passport and said, go on in. That was the first, I was like, for real? Walked into there for the first time I'd ever been in Cuba. There were soldiers physically frisking people. Because you'd go through these, you know, this metal detector thing. You'd have to put your, your stuff in this, in, in, in this deal that goes through there. I'm getting my Spanish and English mixed up. But you, you, you know what airport is. And, uh, and then you'd walk through and then it'd physically frisk you. And I remember my knees were weak and I was like, oh, I'm going to prison. And I got done. He said, put your arms out. 
put my arms out. I got all this stuff on. I'm coming into Cuba and I had a coat. I had like a jacket on. It's like 90 degrees, 100% humidity. I'm sweating and I've got this stuff on me. He starts patting me down. He pats down my back. It was like books in my back. He pats that down, pats down my leg. He looks at me, he says, go on through. In my mind, I was thinking, for real? I grab my stuff quicker than you can even imagine. Whew. Busting through there. Went on out of there. I was, I was as surprised as anyone else. Don't think it's like, whoa, great faith. It, it, it was just, I, it just, I'm going to take the step, and God, you do what you want to do. Went in there. I've been in and out of Cuba 50 to 70 times since then. Got Bible schools all across the island. Resurrection Life Church, you have helped plant hundreds of churches. Last year, 25 churches. We've got 25 couples in, 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 in training right now to plant another 25. You're helping to do that. We're doing this together. But we don't talk about those things. And we won't see them those things if, if we wait for everything to align. If you wait for the perfect conditions, you will never get anything done. There will be things that you don't know in life. And there will always be a reason why not. But I've come to tell you tonight that even though there's a lot of reasons why not, do it anyways. Go for it. Don't live life with the would have, should have, could have. Go all out. Dare to be different. Dare to break with routine. There'll be circumstances in your life that tell you no. No, you can't do it. A lot of you know our story, my wife Carla and I's story. We have four children. Our, our third little boy, he's 28 years old now. When he was five months old, he had viral encephalitis. And when, when it was all done and the whole thing happened, he's... The doctors gave us a little baby and, and said, you know, your, your, little, your son is, is blind. He'll never walk. He'll never talk. He's severely, multiply, mentally impaired. For 28 years, he's, he's one of the most traveled little handicapped boys in, that exist. We just got done getting him a passport. The United States government could not understand why we wanted a passport. They would not give us a passport for him. We had to go through all of these hoops and all this thing. They said, why would a little handicapped boy travel? We didn't tell him, but we're like, he's a missionary. He's a missionary. He's got to travel. But he doesn't walk. He doesn't talk. He doesn't see. He doesn't even know us as his parents. He's our special little boy. He's a wonderful gift in our life. But we could settle, and we'd have a great excuse why to settle. Great excuse to say, hey, it's, it's just too much. There's, you know, this, this situation is just too big. But I don't believe God's called us to settle. And I think he's big enough to, to help us live victorious in any situation that we're in whether it's our fault, whether it's not our fault, whether we created it, whether somebody else created it, no matter what the situation, 
if we'll dare to live our life all out for him, God is big enough to pour his grace on our lives and to help us live a spectacular life beyond what we could ever dream of if we'll just dare to walk on water. If you wait for the perfect conditions, you will never, ever get anything done. Friend, what are you going to do? Would you bow your heads with me tonight? I'm going to ask you that question one more time. Friend, what are you going to do? You can keep living your life the way you're living it. And God will love you. He loves you. He thinks you're awesome. He's just crazy about you. But I believe there's a life that he has for you that's way, way beyond what you could ever dream of. If you would dare to embrace this little verse that says, if you wait for the perfect conditions, you will never get anything done. And you'll embrace that and say, God, I'm not going to wait for the perfect conditions. I'm going to start to step and walk towards what you have for me. If you'll do that, I promise you. And you'll start to step. You have to step. You can't just say it. You have to step. But if you start walking towards that, you'll see God in an awesome in a powerful way. And if you're here tonight and you'd say, John, that, that's me. I'm, I'm, that, that's me. I'm, today, I'm going to make a decision to not wait for the perfect conditions. I'm going to start to take baby steps. I'm going to take a, a few little steps and start walking towards this dream I've got on the inside. And I'm going to start to believe God to do some extra special, beyond what I could think or dream, things in my life. And if that's you, I want to pray for you right where you're at. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. But if that's you and you say, John, that's me. You're talking about me. Today I decide I will not wait for perfect conditions anymore. I decide that I'm going to start stepping out, walking towards that thing. If that's you, just raise your hand right where you're at and I'm going to pray for you. Just raise it up. Keep it up. Father, I pray for everybody that has their hand up right now. Your word says that if we wait for the perfect conditions, we will never get anything done. We'll never see our dreams realized. We'll never walk on water. We'll never see the awesome power that you have stored up to pour into our lives if we wait. So today we decide we won't wait for perfect conditions. We're imperfect people in imperfect circumstances. And Lord, I ask that you do your perfect will through my friends starting tonight. And as they take a step, you're going to take a step. And we're going to walk together and see some awesome things in our lives. I believe it. I declare it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.